What's up, Skytown? Once again, it's time for the world-famous Skyhook Podcast. I'm here with the founder, the originator, often imitated and never quite duplicated, James K. That's K-A-Y, as in why are you still in his mentions? And I'm Chris Pennant, on location from New York City, the site of the recent demolition of the New York Liberty. The House of Cards fell down like season six. Oh, man. <laughs> It was off the wall. James, before we get into that, how are you doing? You're killing me. I had no idea what to expect from that intro after you're like, I got something <laughs> cooking for this. <laughs> Man, I'm doing great. I just spent the morning watching Sky Film, and I just can't wait to get into this episode, Chris, because what happened the last, what, 76 hours, 72 hours, excuse me, man, is just... Mm, I can't what let's I'll just let you tee us up because it was some incredible basketball that we were able to witness during that time span. Seriously, I I I'm still upset that I wasn't able to get to Friday's game in person and that Sky Liberty matchup, especially considering the the first half. It, the, the Liberty are an avowed super team, quote unquote, of this of this year, and the Sky were holding them well at bay for most of the game until just a, a very, very good Liberty comeback and, and a ridiculous, just a frankly ridiculous Brianna Stewart shot. Like, great defense from Elizabeth Williams. Um, forced her to the right, and she hit one high off the... I feel like if you went to the, to the playground and tried that shot nine times out of ten, it would either rim out or you would miss the basket entirely. But that Stewie shot to, that, that iced the game on Friday and the Liberty won 77-76, and then the Sky were down... 17 at halftime on Sunday. 19? I thought it was 17. Although they were, though, you're right. It was, they were down by 17, but they were down as many as 19 at one point. And, and came back with, I mean, it was, it wasn't just the Courtney and Kasha in the second half, but when you talk about players just feeling like they're the giants, like you, everybody else is kind of in the shadow. That's what it felt like. They controlled the third and fourth quarters, respectively. Kalia Copper in the third and Courtney Williams in the fourth. And the Sky, they didn't win going away. It was a tight game in the last minute, but they got the shots when they needed. New York did not come through in the clutch. Very much did not come through in the clutch. And the Sky won the return match 86-82. I mean, what we saw from Kalia Copper, I just, I have to talk about this at the top, man, because... Obviously, we're going to talk about Sloot's return and everything that went into that at Wintrust, and obviously that's a big topic, but I do think that at coming out of this weekend, the biggest thing right now is how Chicago is clearly a top-four team in the WNBA, and Ooh. what we saw from Kalia Copper over the last two games where she puts up 18 points in the first half before turning her ankle and then puts on his 27-point performance with 17 points in the third quarter, where she was the best player on the floor with her opposition having a player like Brianna Stewart and Courtney Vandersloot, John Quell Jones. Kalia Copper was the best player on the court in that Liberty game. And it is just a testament to what she's done to develop as a two-way superstar in this league, playing just unrelenting defense, her off-ball Defense was incredible, especially in that Friday game against the Liberty. What the havoc that she was able to create on that end of the floor and that turned points on the other end for the sky. 
I am just blown away by what we've seen from Kalia Copper because when you hit the point at which she hit in 2021 and 2022, just to see a player keep ascending, I was just blown away. That's the, the number one thing I wrote down for this episode, Chris, was Kalia motherfucking Copper. I had to add <laughs> mother to that fucking phrase because it was just I was just blown away by cop but yeah it's taken aback man it was taken aback I, I mean that's that's that third quarter was just she was abusing Courtney Vanderson like that was wrong bro like you can't be teammates for that long and then do your <laughs> and then do your girl that dirty Joe like she she took her down to the paint she hit was shitting jumpers in her face she was was just like she was imposing her will on the game and that makes i think that's what makes friday so astounding like courtney williams was three for five in the last quarter and she hit all three of her shots in the game in that quarter and so this guy had the chance even before the game the, you know, the time ran out to win the game on if they had gotten a good player and maybe a better shot but considering what we saw from courtney williams this guy probably could have won that game on friday easily but the sky were pretty much that rolled Kalia Copper ankle from winning that game maybe by five or six points because yeah. she was one for eight in the whole second half, and you could tell that that was clearly bothering her on when she had been hitting the jumpers early in the game and pretty much like she did in the, in the first and the second half on Sunday. We talked about on that playback, on that watch party for the opener, you and I and Steven Garner, that if Ka could hit that mid-range jumper with regularity, then she would be in contention for like scoring champ and MVP. And after a difficult shooting start to the year, after a difficult start to the year shooting the ball, she's getting that jumper to fall. And a, a more of her attempts at the rim are starting to fall too. Absolutely. And I think, and I don't like to pick on the officiating. We talked about it last week. I do think some of her quote unquote shooting woes at the rim do have to, there's some, blame i would have to say that does go on the refs for just missing some blatant foul calls at the rim but we did see kalia copper come alive from all three levels of scoring over the last two games and she has been doing this just not at the consistency like you were just talking about like she we've seen her be a three level scorer before and just the fact that even from beyond the arc this year she has been a knockdown an elite knockdown shooter it's not even just from the corners. Like if you actually look at her career from the right and left corner, like she shoots pretty high from those two areas of the floor. It's her getting to the right and left wings and just being able to drill, uh, just hit a three from anywhere, man. It's That is such a development in her game, even beyond just the mid-range stuff, just to see Cobb be able to hit from anywhere from beyond the arc at a really high efficiency. Like even if she doesn't stay north of 40% from deep, I think the sky would take Ka hitting 38% of like four or five attempts per game. Like that would be to me a successful year for Kalia Copper from that level um, on offense, I would say. I mean, I know we talk about in, in the in analytical sense of the, the people we are, we talk about you know, the percentage on this many attempts. And in case anybody hated math, <laughs> if, if, Ka, if Ka shoots five a game and hits three threes, put nine points there and then add those with like five other baskets and four free throws. That's 20 some odd points a game, like 24 to 25 points a game. 
for reference, what was, what was Arike leading the league with? 27? I think before this weekend. I think Jewel Loy now leads the league with like just a little over 28 points per game, but in that same area. Yeah. Yeah. Like you get top five in scoring and the way that Ka can take over games and you're a winning ball club. Again, this is MVP territory. And I, I know that we're going over a lot, but, and I, I don't want to leave things out, but I think that opened things up for the sky so much more in a way that they weren't able to get to in the first half. Uh, some of it was just you're running eight players out there because Dana Evans was out sick. And New York's fast break with Maureen Johannes and John Quill Jones or Brianna Stewart running for it and Courtney Vandersloot, they, the sky couldn't stop that. They, they just were not able to get back. And again, you're playing a home and home. You have a day of rest somewhat with travel and you're, you're running a short bench. But it felt like the Sky were able to open things up because of the gravity that Kyle just created. And that's why Robin Parks hit three threes. That's why um, Elizabeth Williams got those clean looks in the fourth quarter to, to like push the lead and stretch it. That's why Courtney Williams was able to, to get some more space to drive and, and maneuver in the fourth quarter. Again, we saw another solid Courtney Williams effort. I I can't say enough about how wrong I was because it's easy to look at the numbers in the past and even now and just say, well, Courtney Williams is an inefficient volume shooter. But if she's not hitting early, but then hitting late in the clutch, it does mean more to the outcome of the game. Like you get that four or five in the fourth and you can take the one of six in the three quarters before that, as long as she's getting players involved, like we've seen her do all season long. I do think she wasn't the best fit in the role she had last year in Connecticut. And I think it is okay to say that. I mean, I think it's okay to admit when players have improved or they're when they move to a different system that they're better. Like I think there's only a handful of players in this league. And even when I look on the, on the men's side, when there's only like a five or seven players in the league where you can just take them, plop them into a new system and they're the same player. Like everyone outside of those seven to 10 players, whatever it is, I don't know. It's just so hard to predict what they're going to look like in an offense until you actually see them adjust and find a coach like James Wade, who has maximized the most of what he's getting from Courtney Williams right now. And, but Chris, I'm with you too. I was wrong about Courtney. I was curious about how her shooting efficiency from last year would translate over to next to Kalia Copper. Courtney Williams is everything for this team. And I know that Elizabeth Williams, like I said at the top, that she's been the X factor, or she would be the X factor for this team this season. And I still think that's the case. But there's a real argument that what Courtney Williams, is, what she's doing in the fourth quarter of these games, where what she has like 10 points yesterday in the fourth quarter. Now she leads the league with 27 clutch points in the WNBA, and she's 10 of 14 from the field in those moments or those situations. Courtney Williams has been everything, everything that this guy thought that she would be when they gave her that 160K contract. And I just don't think the sky are able to keep these games close without someone like Courtney Williams. And she's been, even without Rebecca Gardner, like, man, she's just been arguably the most, maybe like the second most important player on offense for them this entire season. That there's an argument for the most. I, you know, it might not be a winning argument, but there's an argument with at least some support to back it up because of like we talked about the way that she opens things up on the offense. 
her acuity in the passing game, the way that her patience, she waits for doubles to come or waits for the defense to kind of to move out of out of place and then looks for the cutter and hits those cutters on the move. She's throwing the ball to where they're going to be rather than where they are. And that's something that's said a lot about basketball, about soccer, about football, pretty much any sport that involves passing from a teammate to a teammate. You have to hit them in the future, right? Yeah. But not every player can do that. Even even some of the quality point guards in this league are still, you know, developing or they can't make the same passes like Courtney Williams can make. And we saw that that hook pass that she had, I think, in the game on Friday to the corner to hit Dana. And we saw it just like getting those pocket passes and those short passes over the top to get Elizabeth Williams easy baskets. And when I, I'm glad you brought that up with Elizabeth Williams being the X factor. She played some quality defense, stripped Stewie on a key possession late. But I think with the, with the fact that her free throw shooting, uh, she hit three or four on Sunday, but it's never going to be one of her strong suits. You have to look for Courtney Williams to open things up along with Kalia Copper in the fourth quarter because she is a quality free throw shooter. So that if teams try to zero in, then you get punished because you're sending her to the line for three points. Yeah, man, totally. And it just seems that there's something, there's a switch that flips with Courtney Williams in the fourth quarter this year. And it's kind of crazy. I was looking it up too. She's pulled down 19 fourth quarter rebounds, which is second in the WNBA. Like that's including bigs as well. So you just see the energy that she brings on that end on both ends of the floor, man, on both ends of the floor. That has just been invaluable for a sky team that has played a lot of close games this year. And a part of their identity right now, it kind of feels is we are going to wear opponents out. We're going to force them to make mistakes late in games and we will take advantage of that. And I kind of love that. Honestly, just wear your opponent out, keep wearing them out, keep wearing them out. And, I know there's some people that I've seen kind of said that th- this is just a really hot start for the sky and we'll see how it looks months down the road. And I get the mindset of that, but man, we're almost, I know this is going to be weird to say, but we're almost 25% through the season, <laughs> you know, like, you know what team Percentages. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, there are teams like the Liberty though, that are still figuring out their identity, which compared to the sky, it's when we watch these last two games, their identity has been there since day one, even with a newish group. That's, I mean, I think a lot of that has to do with what the coaching staff and James Wade has done to building that culture. But I also think it has, says a lot about what Courtney Williams has been able to do as a leader on the floor and being able to integrate herself and just be be herself as someone, as a positive contributor, as a vocal leader. Most, most definitely. I think that, yeah, I don't think there's taking anything away from the from Connecticut, from her time in Connecticut, to say that Courtney Williams has just been completely and totally herself within this team and within the way that they play. Like you said, like her camaraderie with Kalia Copper on the court just looks fantastic. If they're not totally, I, I don't, I can't recall a moment where I saw them out of sync within the offense or the defense, and she's just she's just looked like a really natural fit. Even uh, that extends to, like, I really, God, I've really loved these Robin Parks minutes the last two games, man. <laughs> she was a brilliant find. I know you noted that on, on Twitter, too. Like, another overseas prospect that James Wade pulled in the system and is paying dividends. She had two steals 
had a nice block on uh, John Quell uh, near the rim on a help defense play and three threes. Like Robin Parks is getting that thing off with not just confidence, but it's a tough shot to come out and block because she, she knows her role in the offense. She's not just drifting out to the arc and staying there. She's cutting, she's screening, and then she's getting out to the three-point line to get her shot off. And she's still getting in there for boards when she's in the game, too. I want to get some more time for Sika Kone because you can tell that she's got that raw talent. But if you can maximize Robin Park's minutes until the time, if you hopefully get Izzy Harrison back, maybe near the end of the season, I know it's iffy. It's so iffy with her injury and with Rebecca Gardner's foot injury. Those are tough things to come back from within a season. Yeah, but... I really want you got to maximize your Robin Parks minutes because she has been really, really good in this in this team's offense and their defense. Absolutely. And just the next person up mentality just speaks so much to this team. Clearly, I mean, you go down eight players after a team beats you in just a heartbreaking loss. Like you want to win those games, those close matchups early in the season and probably silence some of the people that have talked about super teams all like since January, you know, like even James, oh, Wade, James Wade doesn't care about, it. he doesn't care about that. talk. Well, he, you know, he doesn't. I mean, he said before <laughs> the Liberty game, honestly, I don't think there's a super team in this league. If you don't show up to play, you're going to get your ass whooped. That's any team one through 12. The sky have proved that this season already, man, like taking the Liberty to one possession in the first game and then wiping out a 19 point lead. Even when they, they, Look, I thought the Liberty just looked coming out of the second half that they felt like they'd already won. And I, it just, that's how they played, quite honestly. Let this guy were just done. And it just, it showed a lot to me between those two games and with Washington, with how resilient this team is, the confidence that they have with one another. And to play these two teams, play those two teams as close as they did, I just don't think it's like an early season fluke. And um, down to eight active players on the roster, you lose someone like Dana Evans, who I was looking it up today. In terms of a team's defensive rating with a player on the court, a minimum of 100 minutes, Dana Evans is actually fourth in the league in defensive rating with just over 90. And you lose a player like that who could pester a Courtney Vandersloot, a Marine Johannes, a Sabrina Inescu, and... You go in and you erase a 19-point deficit with 19 minutes left to play, man. That is, or I mean, not even with 19 minutes left to play, but like, you know, you erase a 19-point deficit. And that to me, like, I think this team could actually be pretty formidable in the playoffs too. I don't think that this is like a team just built for the regular season. Like, I've, I think I've seen a decent amount of that on social media. Like, this team actually really can wear you out in the way that we saw Connecticut do last season. And it's not like the sky can't score. Like they, I think in terms of just offensive rating, they were bottom half of the league or right in the middle, but I mean, they scored they've scored 86 in regulation. They scored 90 plus against Dallas. It doesn't look to me like a team who can't score. It's just when the ball sticks at times that they get bogged down in offense. And we can get to that in a minute too. But I saw I saw one of our one of our guys, Master Bear Jedi, I believe it was, mm-hmm. was talking about that exact thing. And I I think it was I think it might have been in response to uh the question that you put out about where this guy were in terms of league rankings. Yeah. And they, they asserted that when you get to the playoffs, 
offense is what gets it done. And I know that not just because it kind of goes conversely to the theory of, you know, defense wins championships, blah, 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 blah. But you, you have to score in the playoffs, but I think you have to lock down really just negate one of the, te- one of the opposition strengths, one or more of the opposition strengths. The thing with the sky is the fact that they have, they, they're limited in terms of the bodies that they can throw out there. And their mindset is, you know, defensive more than offensive, I think. It's not that they're limited offensively. It's just they, they look for their defense to really set the tone. And that, that could wear you out over, over a full season. That's what worries me going into like late July and August and then September. Will they have enough to keep up that mentality at 100%? Because at a certain point, you just, you know, you, you got to throw people out there and they're going to be tired by them. Absolutely. And I do think in terms of my, I, I guess like right now when I look at this team, I, I do believe they would be a formidable playoff opponent. And again, even when I talk about them being a top four team, I do mean in this moment, I'm not saying that's what they're going to be the rest of the way. But right now, They've shown enough to show people that they are a top four team, in my opinion. And you're totally right, Chris. Like right now in the half court, they're limiting opponents to 0.809 points per possession in the half court. And that's on 545 possessions. Like that's a really good number to be at. But if you're working your ass off with six players in the rotation, taking up the majority of the minutes, you know, like they did against the Liberty Maybe right. that number starts to go up a little bit because of the fatigue factor, for sure. I don't think they're going to be playing with just eight or nine players, though, the rest of the way. And I know that James Wade said yesterday that he is going to bring Annalie Maley on a hardship contract. Oh, Skytown, rejoice. I do think I saw someone post on social media about that she might not actually accept the hardship contract, just given some other European... uh or overseas commitments, but I do think the sky have an eye on bringing in someone else just for the short term, especially with Christina Nigue. I think her contract's been temporarily suspended. So yeah, yeah. they're going to have their eyes on bringing in more bodies and make sure they are not exhausted by the end of the season. But this team does seem prepared to be able to keep up with the rest of the league in terms of being able to run out and, the fatigue thing is not worrying me in June. It might be different in August. So I think it's totally fair to bring up. Yeah, you, you can't run the whole season with with nine total. Even even what we saw the Aces do last year, they still had at some point to, you know, put Teresa Plaisance out there for minutes, put Kia Stokes out there for minutes, put Liliana Rupert out there for minutes. Um, and then they brought in Raquana Williams. So you can't run the season with with only eight or nine on the bench. You know, it's not sustainable. You're right. I think it's just, you know, finding finding the players who are going to support the the framework that you've built. Like, who can add to that? Do you want somebody who can give a little bit more on the offensive end? Um, with, with Robin Parks, they found a big that can do that. Um, so you might have satisfied that question. So then... Annalie Maley, we talked about it. Did you think that they would look for somebody who was a little bit more size, could play down low, could battle with front court bigs and give them a hard time? Yeah. And uh, like I said, I love Annalie Maley in the system. We've seen that she fits. And so if she comes over, fantastic. Then teams have to deal with an absolute fucking motor of a pest. 
<laughs> on the defensive end. They need another end. player like that, don't they? With Rebecca Gardner being out for a little bit with, I mean, Dana's going to be that player on the perimeter as well. Just he's picking up people 94 feet from the basket. But I kind of get wanting to have another player like Annalie Mailey, just a high energy person that's going to get in the heads of people. Like it's a clearly a recipe that's working for them. So I, I don't want to go back on, on what we talked about last week because I, I thought that there was another, I thought there was another, you know, ex player out there who would be a better fit than Annalie Mailey. But in terms of just a role on the team, I think she would take up some of that Sika Kone. We've seen Sika Kone in limited time other than her first game. But I think Annalie is more used to the speed of the game. And we've seen a little bit of that from Sika the last two games where it seems like she's playing faster than her speed, trying to keep up with the game speed. Yeah. And it's just a little out of control, which you, you, you would expect from, from a rookie. You know, you would expect that from a rookie. So I think Annalie would be more used to the speed of the game just from her time here, um, even from playing where she has in Australia where so many W players play in the offseason, that she might be a better fit in that role of just coming in for five, six minutes and coming in on the offensive end and then cleaning up on the defensive end. You know, the, the, old, the old terminology was garbage man, you know, picking up, the, picking up those loose balls and hitting the offensive glass. So the new terminology is sanitation worker. She would be, <laughs> she would be that player. <laughs> no, that's really funny. I just think they just need to add bodies wherever. I mean, whatever whatever position it is, just add some freaking bodies because you don't like, again, the fatigue factor can definitely play out towards the end of the season. And just injury-wise, you just don't want to put too many minutes on. Like Alana Smith, I think, played 38 minutes yesterday. Like that's just a lot to do every single night and I don't expect her to, but I look at the Liberty and we should talk about the Liberty for a second too, just in terms of what they weren't able to do, but also just, it's been weird with these John Quill Jones minutes, man. Like she played 17 minutes on Friday. And then yesterday, I'm going to quickly pull it up. She played just 21 minutes. And when you bring in a player like that, it's not like it's an awkward fit in the offense, but it's just she's not doing a ton so far throughout this season. It's like I'm curious what they need more out of her or like what adjustments are going to be like what adjustments they're going to make because man, it just seems like something's up in terms of getting her to connect with this offense. I mean, have you seen that at all even in the two games that we saw with the sky? I think getting John Quell quality touches on the low block early helps open things up for her. So they have to find a way to create that spacing consistently. If if anything, that's that's what I, I think I've seen. Even and we talked about it and it's it sucks that this is happening again. We talked about this in Connecticut. Why isn't John Quell Jones getting more touches? You know, this is a former most valuable player. And even on a team like this, you still have Brianna Stewart, who's a good passer, Courtney Vandersloot, who's an all-world passer, uh, Maureen Johannes coming off the bench, and Sabrina Ionescu, who supposed, you know, qualities should be a quality passer. But I think they're they're still New York is is has me scratching my head because they're still kind of carving out an identity for themselves. Like Thursday we saw it, uh, Friday we saw it. 
they have a quality bench. They have good bench depth with Marie and Johannes on this team. Nayara Sabali is putting in quality time. Han Shu should love you, Steph, but Han Shu should be getting those minutes. Han oh, Shu should be getting so those apparent. Steph Dolson minutes, man. It's apparent. And then you have, you know, Benajelena who can just pound teams to death on the low block and get to the lane. But you've got to make those opportunities. John Quell Jones early low and then get her a couple shots out in the arc, either as a trailer on fast breaks or just as a design pick-and-pop player, you have to, at some points of the game, be willing to orient your offense around this player. Otherwise, you didn't bring them in for a good reason. Agreed. It just it looks so awkward with her out on the floor the last two games and Look, I don't think that's indicative of like who she is as a player. You know, I don't I don't want to start any of that, but man, I just wonder how they're going to get her more involved and even with Sabrina Inescu, she had a really tough two-game stretch against the Sky. And honestly, you could give the Sky credit too for just flustering her. She went 3 for 16 from the field, 1 for 9 from 3 over the last two games, only 9 points. And she had four fouls in the fourth quarter. You know, she just didn't look. I mean, I know there's one that was controversial. By the way, did you think that that was controversial? Like, did you think um, that? Was I thought it was like clearly a foul. That was just like a, a terrible ghost screen that was so bad that I don't think the refs even picked up on it. In, in fast motion, watching from you know the TV camera, I could see an argument because it looked like she was running through and then tripped, and so just from there, I could have maybe seen a foul on Alana Smith, but. I'm not a trained WNBA referee. Um, I'm not a trained professional basketball referee. And most of all, I was watching from a TV camera. So when they slowed the film down, you see Sabrina, like, stop, like, do a jump stop to get herself set for the screen, and then, like, take a step forward almost as she as soon as she puts her two feet down. So she just set a bad screen. Like, yeah. that was definitely an offensive foul. I, I watched it on on the film, or I watched it on the game, I saw Robo Coco break the clip down, and yeah, that was that was an offensive foul. It was just a bad fourth quarter for her. And especially in a home environment, you're going to get those calls typically. Like, it, it was just that bad of a play, quite honestly, and, uh, you know, the rest is history there. But I think the Liberty are going to figure this thing out by the end of the season and everything. But And even, look, if you look at what Sabrina was doing before – the Liberty played the sky. She was, she was rock solid. It's not going to be something that's too overwhelming for them. Like they have the talent to figure out. They have a great leader in Sandy Brundello and a really solid coaching staff, but it did not look good over the last two games. And I think that actually says more about Chicago than it really does say about the Liberty. Like I really do think the sky have really figured this thing out early on, on the defensive end. And if they're able to, be a little bit more coherent in their half court offensive sets. Like I, I think there's a lot of potential with this team and I feel comfortable saying that in this moment, they're a top four team and a lot of credit just has to be given out to what this coaching staff has done. Can't say enough about that, but should we wrap this up talking about Courtney Vandersloot's return? Because I know there's going to be people thinking you're 40 minutes into this and you haven't talked about Courtney's return. <laughs> We're sorry, people. We just, you know, we got to talk about what's going on with this current Sky Squad. No, nah, nah, forget all that. We are unapologetic on this podcast. We aren't sorry for it. We aren't sorry for a damn thing. Uh, Cordy <laughs> Vandersloot um, looked, looked good. 
Courtney Ramsey looked very good. I think even even on Friday night, she didn't shoot it very well, but she had eight assists. I thought she looked fluid in the offense. On Sunday, the shooting numbers were better, and she had some key stretches that that what we've seen in the past. Like I remember, it used to be Diamond DeShields who would get that jump shot to stop runs, and late in the game, it looked like Courtney Vandersloot was kind of going to be that go-to either her or Brianna Stewart to stop a run, got that key and one and drain the free throw. And that's something that can really take the air out of a comeback for a team that is, that is, has a players, you know, has a players to go to. So I, I think it's, it was just cool seeing Courtney playing. It does feel weird seeing her make those moves like that prototypical, Oh, you know, that hesitation where it looks like she's going to kick the ball back out to the arc. So the trailer springs out off of the screen, and then she just gets that free layup at the rim. I'm like, man, I remember that. I love those plays. <laughs> I miss that play. It but it, it, is, it, it is what it is, you know? Yeah, man. It was so weird because – so I actually missed her pregame availability because I didn't – I'm not signed on to the Liberty's press releases and didn't know that she'd be speaking right before this guy did their pregame presser. But it was – like some of the quotes coming out of that, just how Courtney was a little bit nervous heading into that first game, or was just not maybe not nervous, but just more like she has been thinking about her return to Chicago because it was her home for 10 plus years. And just to see how the crowd embraced her after the sky did a tribute video, which I'm glad they did. Like there's some teams that don't do that. Like Kevin Pelton, I like I posted the tribute video and Kevin Pelton um had he had said that this, the storm didn't do it for Stewie because they don't traditionally do tribute videos for players that return to, you know, to the arena for the after they had played for a while. And I'm glad the sky did that because just to hear after the tribute video was played, just the all the the salutes coming down from where the fans were sitting, it was just cool to hear that again after not hearing it for a while and it was so funny and in, in typical Courtney Vandersleep fashion after they were about to start the layup line the the players on the court took a minute to like clap and Courtney was like come on let's go she just kept saying let's go let's go let's go and it was just so funny how uncomfortable she was in those moments of just like okay we did the tribute video that's all we needed to do here you know it's just like so funny and um you could tell she was ready for this questioning though about hey what's it like being back in chicago and it still felt surreal to see her not in chicago sky blue and gold man it just uh it was a little bit jarring i'm not even gonna lie just to see her warming up on our end of the floor by the media section it was it threw me for a loop i'm not gonna lie I'm sure, like I said, I didn't think it would be that big of a deal. And then I saw her playing in the jersey and I was like, oh, this is weird. This is kind of a, of a, of a Twilight Zone kind of thing. But, you know, player, players move on. And what we saw from Courtney was, was the standard. Like, she doesn't – I don't see her having lost a step. I think that's what you always look for when a, team, when a player goes to a new team after a long time. It's like, well, they, you know, it's, they put a lot of miles on their body. But I don't see Courtney having lost a step. It helps to be playing on this team with so many other weapons. But she looks pretty doggone fresh. And I love that. 
Outside of the defense, which definitely has not looked great this year for her, I mean, she's still leading the WNBA in assists now. You know, she's back up to being over eight a game after last year. I think people forget she was dealing with injuries. Like, she had to get, I think, some procedure done on her foot after the finals in 2021 and mm-hmm. took some time to get back to being the Courtney that we know, but also just her playing less minutes that people look at the raw stats and didn't were like, Oh, Courtney Vanderzoot's having a down, down year. It's like, well, no, that's not actually what's happening right now, but it was cool to see her go to work again. Like I've, I've, I've caught a couple of Liberty games, but um, to see it in person, just to see, some of the little things that one of the things that I love about Courtney, just seeing her in person that I don't catch on just watching on television is just how when she sees a play starting to develop and she sees the play before the play, her eyes get like wide open. She like has this smile on her face, like, come on, let's see this fucking play out, you know? And if it doesn't get there, she like, you know, she's very like, like her facial expressions are very pronounced when you see her like from like 15 feet away in the half court and uh, just to see those little moments again, man, like I just missed being able to cover Courtney and I didn't get a chance to talk with her like one-on-one, but like we made eye contact in the shooting line and like we both gave each other a little wave, you know, it was like nice to, you know, like we hadn't seen her in a little bit, you know? So um, dog, when I talk, when I tell y'all, when I tell y'all about how how famous James K is with this, oh, with this, bas- this basketball shit, man, I'm telling you, this dude is this dude is mad famous. People know this boy's name. People know this brother's name. They know they know him. They know him for the work he does. That's what, I ain't getting no waves. Nobody's giving me a wave. Nobody's giving me that, man. No, I one, I will never be famous because I will never try to be famous. That sounds like it's like the worst possible lifestyle of all time. Um, people just knowing who you are. Um, uh, <laughs> but one thing that I thought was interesting was that Annie Costable reported that Courtney has an eye on becoming a GM after her playing career, which, man, I kind of love that. She's someone that apparently was in. Like she was talking with Michael Alter and James Wade about all these, like the business side and like, and talking about roster construction, learning with the sky's front office about wanting to, and wanted to be included in those discussions. Courtney, the GM, man, I think that could totally see her transitioning to that role after her playing career ends, which I hope isn't for a number of years, but that's kind of a cool little nugget that Annie had in that notebook piece that she had the other day. I'm not surprised by that. I yeah. know that James talked to her, like you said, about um, personnel decisions a couple of years back. You know, not just because she was she had been in the team for that amount of time, and she is the one that kind of that just started things on the floor for the team. But she knows players. Like she has, she's a good judge of talent. I think she's a good judge of talent and and personnel. And not only that, we've seen Courtney Vanderson be able to play with anybody. I think she would do well. She would probably say no. I think she would do well as a coach because of the fact that she's no been able to get a lot from players. I'm sure that she would be like, nah, I can't. She, she'd be one of those players who like, I'm gonna, all right, I'm trying to show something in practice. This is how I was when I was tutoring. It was like, I'm just going to do it myself. Like you run out there. It's like, here's how you do it. Yep. And then, <laughs> That's like, why that I think she wouldn't be a practice. good coach, man. That's the only reason why. It'd be like, 
how did you not see the three things that happened leading up to where that pass should have been? You idiot. <laughs> you know, no, like obviously Courtney is like a really nice person and everything, but I do see her more in that GM capacity because one thing that I don't know, you were in this press conference. It was right after the 2021 finals had ended and this guy had that comeback. And everyone was super emotional in the room. She was talking about how she had, what was it? She had talked about how she had tried to recruit players in the past and it was just something that they weren't able to work out in free agency over the course of her tenure in Chicago. And I was like, when I saw this story by like from Annie, I, I was thinking I connected those two dots thinking like, oh yeah, this is in her DNA. She's a recruiter. She's someone that wants to be involved in that process. And it just makes a lot of sense now that like now that she's like commented on it and everything. So it was really cool to see Courtney come back. It was interesting that like James Wade too was asked about like, how do you feel about Courtney coming back? And he kind of just shut it down, you know? And I think that that was an interesting response. Like you'd think that after 10 years, after touting the point guard that was on your team, saying that she's the best point guard in the world, that you would have a little bit more to say, but even ruminating on that, like I came out of Friday, I'm not going to lie, being like, why wouldn't James just say like, well, even just one thing about what Courtney meant to the franchise. And then I came out of it also thinking like, you know what? This is, He's being asked about this before the game. He's been hearing all about super teams for so long and, you know, hit the point guard left for, to be a part of that quote unquote super team. I don't think that's necessarily the reason why she left, but like, I kind of get wanting to maintain that edge heading into a game, just being like, we went through this before with diamond stuff and yada, yada, yada. Like we're not thinking about it right now. Like I do think, cause I know that some people, and there were some people that had some trouble with it. I kind of almost get that mindset now, just thinking like always going to maintain the edge, always going to want to like be thinking forward. Like I get it. What did you make of James's comments about Courtney? Like, is that, am I wrong in thinking like that later assessment? Or do you think my first one, or like the first initial feelings about it actually kind of aligns with where you're at with that one. I think it's, it's difficult to say, uh, it's difficult to interpret, but I've been reading Bill Russell's autobiography and thinking about how he talks about the Celtics and with the players on his team, uh, that just the teams that he went through, you know, they weren't all close friends. I think he was close friends with with Casey Jones, and they went to college together. But the bond that they had, even in the book, like he talked about it, but you knew it wasn't everything. There were some points that he was just like, yeah, we did this. And then we were just like falling over each other and laughing. And if I'm if I'm taking James's perspective, one, you caught you hit it on the head, it's before the game. And this is a player that very, I think meant a lot to him and his time with the franchise. And I think there's just some things that would have had to go into that answer that you don't want to talk about sometimes. You hmm. know, he, he, after the finals, he elucidated on the comp- a couple conversations that they had. He, he, he discussed those. And, you know, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe... Maybe it's going back to just the split. Maybe maybe it wasn't amicable. I don't know, but I don't. I doubt it. I doubt that. It doesn't seem. It doesn't seem like there would have been any uh, animosity 
at the end of that time. You know, sometimes you just you go. Sometimes you just dip. But I think that it would if it was me in that position, there would be a lot of things, conversations when you say, what has Courtney meant to the franchise? You got to say, like, you got to say what she's meant to you, too. And at that point in time, I think it's, it's harder or almost impossible to really get that answer out in the way that you'd like. And it was yeah. a hell of an interesting weekend. Hell of a weekend. And the sky now four and three, they've got a game against Indiana tomorrow. This episode's probably going to go up tomorrow morning uh, because I got myself a second job interview later today. So hey, um, let's go. Oh, man. Open I get this one, Christopher. And guess what? Before we wrap up, too, we got to say happy birthday to you, mister. I'm so happy that uh, you were able to get out of Chicago a little bit and be able to, what, explore? You're in Toronto? Not Toronto, Montreal. I was in Montreal. And um, uh, shout out Windy City Rollers. Won two of our three games over the weekend. And now I'm in New York. Um, We're riding through New York. Uh, not going to go we are not going to go and shoot new jersey up you know we are, we are not going to blow what? new we're not going to blow new jersey up everybody who knows chief keep knows what i'm talking about we are not doing that but very excited to hopefully see the white Sox win finally see the white Sox win a game at yankee stadium when i'm in attendance really want that to happen because i've been coming here for a while and have not seen them win a game. I don't think I've seen them score a run at the games that I've been to. <laughs> well, I'd really love that. Well, in typical White Sox shape, man. They, uh, you know, you know how it goes over there, Chris. I'm a Cubs fan, um, but you know what, Chris? I'm so glad we had a chance to do this, and we appreciate everyone who tuned in for today's episode. If you want to reach out to us, you can always do so by emailing our mailbag which is the skyhook mailbag at gmail.com. One more time, that is the skyhook mailbag at gmail.com. And if you want to find us on social media, check out the episode description. You can find our link tree, which has all the links to where we are digitally. So go ahead and do that to find us on social. And if you want to make a financial contribution to the show, our Venmo is also listed in the episode description. If you could take a second to rate and review slash subscribe to our show whenever you get a chance, we would also really appreciate it. But thanks for tuning into this episode of the show. And until next time.